We are live in Cincinnati this fine Monday, December 20th at 2.20 p.m., ready to rip it up. Big week in football. It was supposed to be a chalky week, a lot of wide spreads, a lot of big spreads, but man, had some dogs win, had some teams I did not expect that were favored to win bigger than I expected. It was an interesting week. Parody continues to reign supreme in the NFL, but before we get into that, how about parody here? You, you came in last place in your fantasy football league? It's not just like my fantasy football league. It's my family fantasy football league. It That's is a disaster. me, my two brothers, my mother, my father, my sister-in-law, so my brother's wife, and my aunt and uncle. And I am officially dead last. Final, those playoffs start next week in our league. It's, it's only an eight-team league, and I got dead last. Eight-team? Who, who was eight on your team? Who was on your roster? It wasn't good. So I, I think my, my first few picks were like McCaffrey – um and who was my second AJ Brown which that's gonna go downhill quick yeah when your first two picks get hurt but then I also after my first two picks I ended up I was on my phone drafting and my phone like conked out and I ended up auto drafting Allen Robinson and I was so mad when I auto draft Allen Robinson I'm like I never in a million years wanted Allen Robinson my fantasy team this year I just did not think it was gonna happen with him so it was a bad start wire to wire poor performance on my part uh embarrassed back to the drawing board though in a <laughs> fucking family league my aunt like literally uh is a packers fan but won't even watch packers games sometimes that's how like that's how up with it this league is and uh, i got dead last so you a little embarrassing to see that i missed the playoffs in the one league that i prioritize i've been in it since like middle school high school but uh it was a tough scene the other personal note i had i got an xbox series x the new xbox because oh, Tre- here's the reason trevor sigma yeah who's a new analyst here at pff who moved to cincinnati he talks about playing all the time. And I was like, dude, I got to get in here. I got to get on this hobby. And uh, played some games with him, some Halo, ranked Halo, which I didn't know was a fucking thing. I'm getting my ass clapped, dude. It was, it, it's not even fun. It is insane. These kids are out here grinding, and I'm getting waxed, like legitimately waxed. I haven't picked up a shooting game mm-hmm. probably since high school or late, or no, probably like college, but the kids nowadays are, are I was out here say, grinding the I, tape. I can't imagine with the proliferation of gaming and how just popular it's become and how like normalized it's become like there's no like i maybe there is i don't know how parents raise their kids nowadays but like i remember growing up like we had like time limits of how long we could play and whatnot but i feel like nowadays kids are just like eight hours a day be playing like that's like yeah. their full-time job when they get done with school is playing video games and so they're probably just they probably whip my ass i don't even want to i don't even like scared to get back into it because pride wise yeah. Like, I hold myself in, like, high esteem for my Halo 3 days that I was, like, back in college when I was, like, good. If I jumped in and sucked, I wouldn't be able to take it. Like, I can't do that. I'm struggling to take it as well. It's hard to, like, pick it up as a hobby when you aren't good because everyone else is, like, playing, like, streaming, like, 10, 12 hours a day, and you're just yeah. getting waxed by those guys. Let's talk what we have to talk. We did our last podcast, I believe, Wednesday, last Wednesday. So it was before what was the much anticipated you saw this train coming from a mile away the urban meyer firing in jacksonville i was part of, can i say i was a little upset i miss the content i'm gonna miss the content i'm definitely gonna miss the content there's some people who are saying he's never gonna get another job again he's not even gonna get back in the booth you are making an absolute disastrous mistake yeah. if you do not bring urban meyer onto a tv show the guy is walking content you 
You have to. And if I was Urban, the coaching I, or if I was coaching Urban on what he has to do, you got to lean into it like Rex Ryan does with the foot shit. Yeah. Like you got to like lean into this joke that like mm-hmm. you are trash. Because if you go in there with pride and people make jokes and you're like skirting around it, it'll be a little bit of a disaster. But find a way to get Urban Meyer back on my TV because the content's too good. I mean, he's going to have a Lane Kiffin-esque rise from the ashes, right? Really? He has to. But Lane Kiffin never fell that far down the hole, right? He was Lane pretty Kiffin, down bad after well, the Raiders. Yeah, after the Raiders he wasn't good, but no one was saying he kicked any players or okay, anything. Yeah. It wasn't insane. It, I mean, a few, few head coaches in NFL history have gone this south this quickly. I'm trying to even off the top I'd of argue head. it's the worst. Yeah, it probably is. I, I Maybe like back in the day there were some that were worst tenures, but this is the worst in modern history for sure because it, it didn't have to be like this bad. He had options. Like there was talent on this roster. Like it's a bad roster, sure, but it wasn't this bad. And the thing that like cracks me up is the whole, well, this tweet from Aaron Wilson uh, under underscore NFL who is, uh, I believe he's – Writes out of the Houston area. Uh, he said this. Jaguars head coach, former Jaguars coach, Urban Meyer, told Jaguars coaching staff, per league source, I had a better coaching staff at Bowling Green. You guys are fucking terrible. Just <laughs> un- like you are – you hired these guys. Less like three months your, ago. And this is your – this is – exactly. Like less, you, you three months ago thought that these guys were competent, qualified NFL coordinators, position coaches. You, you cannot blame anyone other than yourself at that point. I mean, I'm not going to speak to the – I will later, the performance Bevel put on against Houston. It was a disaster. But Urban Meyer just like – I mean, yeah, Urban Meyer might not have been wrong. No, he might not like, have been wrong, but it's his fault. It's his yeah. fault for hiring those guys and putting those guys in the position. And that's like one of, what, 50 things that he did that were like yeah. legitimately insane. We have the whole um, list here. Yeah, our, our own Ari Mayrov put out a list of everything that happened, hired Chris Doyle as the team's director of sports performance. Doyle was accused of making racist comments and belittling players during his time at Iowa, something Urban obviously was a fucking big fan of. Heavy backlash, Doyle resigned. Then he signed Tim Tebow, which was a literal joke. Drafted a running back in the first round, which you could argue is interesting, but James Robinson was on the roster. Um, told reporters that they'd cut them due to their vaccine status. The NFLPA opened up an investigation after those comments. All This is all before a game was even played. Yeah. Open competition for starting quarterback between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. That always felt really college and really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I think that was leading not, – not, that was maybe the least terrible thing that he did, but it wasn't Well, great. it just felt disingenuous, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it didn't feel like – it felt like a fake competition to try to you know, dr- drive up morale or drive up this competitive spirit yeah. when these are professionals. You know, they, they don't need you to motivate them week in and week out. Like they, they're self. They do, but it's not that way. It's exactly right. like they like they're motivated by shit like paychecks, their family, like all the other stuff that goes paychecks into it. and winning. They don't need this like fake head to head. Let's be tough. A lot of guys bring that to the table themselves. You don't need to. This is not how you instill that into it. NFL franchise. This is where it got really good, though. So all that happened, right? And mm-hmm. everyone had some doubts. Some like, hey, what's going on? This isn't going well. Then it really started to hit the fan. They would start to lose games. They sent out the apology graphic after week two. Week two, they sent out the apology graphic saying we're going to work harder than any other team or whatever. <laughs> then week four, he loses to Cincy. In Cincy, we're at that game. Didn't travel with the team after. Stays in back in Ohio. Viral videos and photos of him with that girl grinding the tape, if you will. Reports it truly that- was a pleasure to have gone to a game for the Urban Meyer era. It's true. We it's were true. in, the, in the building for an Urban Meyer Rarified performance. Um, 
Then there's the report that comes out like literally a couple, like a week ago or so, where he called all the coaches losers, had an argument with Marvin Jones. He benched James Robinson, but didn't tell media he benched James Robinson. Trevor Lawrence had to ask for Robinson to get back in. And then I think obviously the cherry on top, the final straw that breaks the camel's back, is that report comes out with Lambeau and he says he kicked him and screamed at him like, "Hey, dipshit, make your effing kicks!" Like that is, and that's rough. like the with cause. Yeah. Is how, so he's fired with cause. So they're planning on not paying him the rest of his salary, which, you know, coach, coach contracts guaranteed, but you're fired with cause. They obviously are not. And so obviously they will be lawyers. But if that is any way verifiable that he kicked a player, you're not going to win that. You're loss. screwed. You're screwed. Yeah, you're exactly. Screwed. And you talk about taking this like college approach and like how do you motivate i'll tell you right now it's not kicking other adults (laughs) kicking other like 25 to 30 year old men is i'll I'll tell you right now not going to get you where you need to go final call on where urban meyer ends up where do you want him to end up on tv uh, for now but then i think i think it's going to be a mid major ish program i don't think you're going to get him at like a blue blood but i do think like a i don't even like 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 a North Carolina level program. I don't know, I'd just say it off the top of my head. But like, do you that honestly caliber. think a program could put a good enough marketing rebuild around Urban to get yeah. them there? Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you see the quality of some head coaches that get hired around the college football landscape. It's you, I you would say be, a guy who has three national championships. He's going to get a job somewhere in college. I game. would be fascinated at the. But strategy. he has. But he has. But he has to be contrite himself. Like he has to come out after the fact and like admit to. But that's the thing he hasn't even done. He's like changed. I know he hasn't done it yet. There was was the apology that people – it came out. Urban Meyer apologizes. He apologized to Jacksonville. He said Chad Khan's still a good owner. And then he says he denies everything that happened. None of that happened. Like that – if he's going to be like that, I don't know if this is ever going to be righted. The strategy the program would have to take to like rebuild his character and actually build support around him would be insane. Unless, in my opinion, it's like a group of five school. Like some group of five school trying to like really turn things around. Like, hey, we don't care if Urban was trash. We were literally, I don't know, Nevada trying to make a move in the Mountain West. I don't know. I, I think a power five school trying to rebuild around Urban would be a joke. And they would be a joke. And you would embrace it unless Urban Meyer like really changed his direction. But I don't see that coming. Anyway, let's get off of Urban. Let's get him on TV, though. I, I, my final take, put Urban Meyer on my TV. He was very good on TV, though. He was. He was good on Fox. Yeah. Did he kick anybody on Fox? That's Get Brady question. and Urban their own show. I like that. Brady and Urban their own show. Let's talk Chiefs Chargers. Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night, I'm willing to say, was one of the, if not the best game of the year. It was phenomenal. It was so fun to watch. Hashtag. Hashtag fun to watch. I mean, the fourth down play calls, the discourse around Herbert. Everyone's like, Herbert, I don't even know how to say that. Justin Herbert, if we get this for the next 15 years, let's freaking go. Everyone's yeah. excited about Mahomes, the Chiefs. That was an exciting game on a short week. Chargers were three-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Chiefs cover 34-28 on a overtime game-winning touchdown from Travis Kelsey where he takes this thing like 20, 30 yards after the catch. It was phenomenal. The bigger takeaway, though, I think everyone's takeaways, they want to hear your take on the fourth down stuff. What is your take on the fourth down stuff? Fourth down stuff was comical. Everyone had a take. And it was aggressive. It was an aggressive mindset from Brandon Staley. And it's one that has literally been his MO all season long. That is what they've done. It paid off. And, like, everyone blaming him for this loss. And, like, yes, the failed fourth down conversions, if they convert them, they win this game. Or if they go and kick field goals, they also probably win this game. 
but to admit that, to say that his his aggressiveness maybe cost them this win, and they obviously still have their chances to win. You have to then also say their aggressiveness won them the game the first time around against the Chiefs mm-hmm. because they went for a fourth and seven when they could have kicked a field goal, converted that fourth down, end up scoring a touchdown, don't give Patrick Mahomes enough time to get all the way down the football field, and they got back into, I believe, close to field goal range. Like They would have been in field goal range if they kicked that field goal to go ahead. Chiefs would have won that game had they kicked the field goal. But they go get aggressive, convert that fourth down, and then win that game. So to admit that maybe this cost them this one, you have to also admit that the aggressiveness won the last one. And it's won them other games over the course of the season. The Browns game, multiple fourth downs down the stretch in that one. Uh, what's the other ones off the top of my head? I can't remember off the top of my head. But it has been his MO. And everyone's saying, like, it, you, know, you can't put a, put a number on the morale or the momentum shift that not converting gives you can't put a momentum you can't put a sort of number on believing in your offense and believing in your defense does to those players and giving you four downs as a play caller also does to your offensive play calling like it gives you the ability to hey when it's you know fourth and eight we don't have to run all deep concepts we can pick up five six Mm -hmm. we can run the ball and then you mean third and eight third and eight excuse me and then pick it up on the next one so yeah I, i think this obviously went poorly for them in this one but they still went two of five and fourth down they would have been 3 of 5 had Dylan Parham not had a freak accident dropping the ball and then obviously going to the hospital afterwards with a head injury. But it it's how I would want my head coach to act if I were a fan. It just is. And if I had a good quarterback like Justin Herbert, shit. Yeah, I think the aggressiveness gets all of the – discussion and all of the conversation all of the criticism right mm-hmm. like he went for five for you know third downs and he only converted on two of them and i think the other conversation has been like well you can't if he was aggressive against the browns or aggressive in previous games you have to take it game by game you have to take it play by play like do you have enough of those short yardage fourth down plays to actually be on the kansas city chiefs yeah. and you go back to that first fourth down they try mm-hmm. is the donald parham disaster where donald parham gets hurt he drops the ball and like a freak accident i don't think anyone has ever seen and he was open. It was a good throw from Justin Herbert. They convert that fourth down. They're three for five on fourth downs, and they probably win this game. Like, it's that yeah. simple, right? Like, yeah. the aggressiveness to go for it, like, they – I think it's way too – like, 95% of the criticism yeah. and the conversation, whereas, like, the actual execution, the actual context of, like, the plays called and, and the matchups that they created, I think, is, is a little bit different. And right? the funny so, thing was no one also brought up the fact that the Chiefs went for a fourth down and didn't get it. And had a wide-open guy, and Patrick Mahomes duffs one. Oh, yeah, that's right. No one brings that up after the fact for this game, that they went for that and missed that one as well. I, I think you know, Keenan Allen made a really good point about like we want that trust yeah. in the ball. We want, we want to win on the offense. We don't want to watch them kick. And I think Darius Butler was on the NFL live show here at PFF, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, offensive players like that. But defensively, going forward that many times does kind of wear on you in terms of sending you back on the football field and all that kind of stuff. So I do think there's different perspectives on – Wait, sending you back on the football field. I mean, you're getting back on the football field anyway <laughs> if you punch or kick it. Yeah. So, I mean – That's true, but giving the short yards yeah, or short whatever, yards, there are certain things. I will say – the one argument that I see being made about fourth down aggressiveness is people saying, oh, well, it doesn't factor in the uh, personnel, the matchups that you have this week, all uh, and uh, the plays that you have prepared for situations like that, whether you feel good about them or not. And that, to me, that argument, I, while it's somewhat legit, it would hold a lot more weight if it ever – 
if there was ever a time when coaches were over aggressive with it, be, meaning that they went for fourth downs when they thought they had more favorable matchups than what the analytics would say, mm-hmm. when because maybe a cornerback or a pass rusher, a top player gets injured for the other team on the game because everyone thinks, oh, it's my left guard who gets hurt. Oh, you can't factor in that they didn't have Rashawn Slater in this game. What the analytics didn't say about that. Well, sometimes the other side of the football has injuries too. You know, mm-hmm. Like Legarius sneeze out in a game. All of a sudden you may have a, a mismatch there against their secondary. No one ever factors in that, and there's never coaches that are overly aggressive compared to what the analytics say, except maybe Jim Harbaugh and his two-point conversions. But it would hold a lot more weight if that was also the case because that never gets factored in. No one goes for it when they think they have a favorable matchup with like what the defense is bringing to the table. So I don't think that argument, like I said, holds too much weight in my opinion. Putting the fourth down conversation to bed with this, I think my least favorite thing about it is just how much venom yeah. people have around like the word analytics <laughs> and how like ridiculously it's used. Yeah. I think I'm so frustrated about how like some of the commentator discourse, even some of the analyst discourse about like this analytics is just spitting out a number. It's like, dude, all analytics is is making a data-driven decision on fourth down. There are models that show going forward on fourth down in certain situations increase your win probability versus kicking the football. That is what it's saying. Now, that is just a suggestion. That is just based on win probability added. You actually calling a good play and not throwing to Jared Cook on fourth down or not throwing it to Dan Sorensen's chest on fourth down or, in Patrick Mahomes' case, literally turfing it is a bigger part of that, right? Like, no one's going to bring up the aggressiveness from Andy Reid when Patrick Mahomes sees a wide open McCall Hartman and just turfs it. Like, I, I do yeah. think more conversation needs to be made on, like, actually executing these and, and I think a lot of people, when they – a lot of people aren't, like, informed about how these decisions are made, think it's like a chart, like the two-point conversion chart. When to, when to go for two, how they have it. It's like, oh, you're up – yeah, yeah. Well, you're up 12. Well, like the trade value two. chart in the yeah. draft. Yes. It's like not. It doesn't change. It, yes. There is no chart. It is purely a calculation based off of the relative strengths and weaknesses of your team. And like how it also factors in like how much better the other team is than mm-hmm. you. Like if you are a big dog in a game, it behooves you to take more chances to make sure. up that gap, to make up that talent gap through high leverage plays like fourth downs. I mean, Eric and I were having a conversation in the office, Eric Eager, doctor here, uh, leader of the analytics department at PFF. So much of this factors in like strength of players, weaknesses on the other side, and also like strength of the opposing offense, right? Like how, mm-hmm. how likely is it the opposing offense is going to drive down the football field on you if you go for it in this situation? Like going for it against the Jags or the Lions is a little bit different than going for it, obviously, against the Chiefs and those things. So anyway... Let's get off this game. Any yeah, other no more fourth down talk. No more fourth down talk. And Any other takeaways from this just game? Just two-point conversion talk a little bit later. I was – I'm willing to say you have a quarterback for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes is one for everyone. I, I'm, I'm willing to say that. After that, how many other quarterbacks are you honestly picking over Justin Herbert? I'm, I'm serious. In terms of – You get a quarterback we, for the next five I years. I mean, honestly, he would be – if we're actually factoring in money they're being paid mm-hmm. – He's second behind Joe Burrow right now. I mean, it, but it's close. It's, right? And that it's one's close. close. Yeah. Like, that yeah. one's you, like a pick I of think poison. it depends on the flavor you're chasing. Yeah, that one. That it's one's Joe awesome. Burrow and Justin Herbert right now. Justin yes. Herbert, I think, ranks <clears throat> second or third in PFF grade so far this year. It's Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, and Justin Herbert all in the top three right now. They have been phenomenal. Herbert has been phenomenal. I will say, watching this game, it felt like we are going to see this one again. These felt like the two best teams in the AFC, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. All right, let's get to more AFC here. Patriots at Colts. Island game, Saturday night. 
Colts favored by two and a half. I questioned how they could be favored by two and a half. I felt like the Patriots would win. <laughs> and they don't. Colts roll. I mean, they had a block punt in this game. That helped them give some. You know, yeah, I don't know if the rolling time. was. It was not a roll. Yeah. It was not a roll. They felt they were in a comfortable lead for a bulk majority yeah. of this game. And then Mac Jones made two really critical mistakes. The pick to Leonard was awful. He just completely didn't see him on an intended yeah. pass to Henry. And then Bobby Okereke or Okereke makes an absolutely absurd play. Now, you could say the pass was a little bit late and behind. You could also say, why the fuck are you throwing to Brandon Bolden? But still, Bobby Okereke makes an insane play, his two picks in that game. They also could not run the football. Offensive line was getting absolutely bullied in the trenches. No Damian Harris. He was hurt in this game. Offense had to go through Mac Jones, and I don't think he played horrendous. The two picks were bad. I get that. But outside Mm -hmm. of that, he was fitting the ball well in the fourth quarter. He put this game within reach. But on the other side of the ball, Patriots defense trying to take away this rushing attack while Carson Wentz was legitimately trash. Carson Wentz was awful in this game. (laughs) Dude, so bad. So bad. Goes 5 for 12 with three turnover-worthy plays. Should have had like three picks in this game. Mm -hmm. But they just literally could not stop this rushing attack. And so my question is, coming out of this game, I've been kind of a Colts hater and I think Colts fans have seen that on the NFL show they've seen that on this podcast I'm not backing the Colts because they don't have a top flight quarterback and I'm not ready to back them purely off of what is obviously a very talented borderline best in the NFL rushing attack and a very good defense playing above expectations with Matt Eberflus I'm not backing that over teams with good quarterback play and I don't think I'm wrong for that and I think the other big thing is that they are going to Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily. I don't know how the season is necessarily going to end for them, but they're going to have to be doing it on the road mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And like the running game at home, being able to use or being able to use like an actual audible count instead of a silent count at home with your fans, that helps. Like that helps you get a jump on opposing defensive linemen as an offensive lineman. Going on the road, your running game is just not going to be quite as effective now it's still a very good run game this is the best offensive line in the nfl for my money right now the best run blocking offensive line uh and paired with jonathan taylor it is dangerous as anybody but again in the afc you're going to have to be going up against a lot of good quarterbacks at this point or what's looking like to be a lot of good quarterbacks so that does scare me but like i said this offensive line is very good i would feel differently if they were in the running for the one seed, like if they could, if they could get home field at some point or for a few games, I would feel differently about this Colts team. But this one just felt like a few fluky plays going against the Patriots. Not fluky plays. The punt, obviously, a big fluky play. But then Mac Jones making big mistakes that costed them in this game. And it was the first time we saw since Week Three, really. Jones have a really negative game script, like mm-hmm. a really behind the eight ball. Has to be his arm winning them games. And kind of why we've said all year, like, pump the brakes on Mac Jones. Like, it's it was kind of Case Keenum-esque with Minnesota in his performance this year and how they're winning games and that they're just not asking him to do a ton. Like, it's – you, Which is fine. Which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. They're – shit, they're 9-5. I don't think any Patriots fans are complaining. But comparing what he has to do to what all these other rookie quarterbacks have to do, it really is night and day. And I think it's the first time you really saw him in a situation that we've seen – Trevor Lawrence in all year long. We've seen Zach Wilson in all year long. And it just, he didn't set up the It wasn't great. I do feel that this is a good opportunity to discuss the AFC playoff picture. Chiefs in the one seed right now at 10 and 4. Very excited that both the Titans and the Patriots lost. That mm-hmm. gets them in the sole position for the one seed. Patriots at 2, at 9 and 5. 
Titans at three at nine and five, and now the Bengals sneak into the four spot ahead of the AFC North at eight and six. But then in the wild card right now in the AFC, there are four teams at eight and six: mm-hmm. Colts, Chargers, Bills. Ravens. All of those teams have massive weeks to close out the season. Ravens, obviously, in a really bad position, could miss the playoffs altogether after a hot start, especially if um, Lamar Jackson isn't able to come back or at least come back healthy. Factor in the, the Bills, obviously, super talented. You think Chargers up there at the top teams in the AFC, and the Colts are on a little bit of a tear here. And there's a huge game tonight on Monday. Browns, Raiders, mm-hmm. even though you know both these teams maybe don't see them as deep playoff contenders. Browns win this one, they're eight and six. That would put five teams at eight and six, all vying for three wild card spots towards the back end here. It will be an interesting AFC. Off of this game and on to Panthers. Oh, can I just have one shout out? The Patriots had one of the coolest plays I've seen all year, resulting in incompletion. But they did a flea flicker where they pulled a guard and who was the running back? I think it was Brandon Bolden. Had the ball for about two and a half seconds. Like the guy had the ball for a while. Like they've really sold the run fake. And if Mac Jones would have just like kept it for one more tick, he had a guy wide open in the end zone. Uh, got a little quick with the ball, threw an incompletion. But man, that was, I want to see that play get run again. It was sweet. On to Panthers Bills. This was positioned to be a blowout, and it was. Bills were 10.5 point favorites. They win 31 14. After kind of a slow start to this game, I mean, both sides of the ball looked pretty, pretty average to start. I think someone, one of the broadcasters said, the Bills have not put together a complete four quarters yet, and I think that's true. Like They've been kind of up and down in games with Josh Allen, with this defense. It's good, but they have been up and down in games. They still win 31-14. Panthers kicker gets hurt in pregame warm-ups. They are not allowed to kick, really. They don't, they're unable to kick, so they go for a lot of four downs in this one. One of my notes was Cam Newton was a bit horrendous in this one. This was an ugly, ugly game for Cam Newton. He ran mm-hmm. the ball well, but, man, the accuracy took a lot of sacks. Losing football in Carolina, if I'm being honest. Losing football in Carolina was what Cam was doing. Well, all right. So I think we use the term cooked. It's like too often. I think we say it too much. But my God, watching Cam Newton, it's difficult not to see to say it. Like the arm is nothing like prime Cam Newton arm. And even as a runner, he's not does not have the same kind of juice now maybe like top end speed hasn't lost that much but like when he puts the shoulder down and really wants to get forward it really does not look the same as old cam so damn only not even 33 years old yet cam newton but that it just i don't see any shirt coding he's a 49.4 passing grade this year i mean he's 54.9 completion percentage just that game was tough to watch honestly watch playing the quarterback position and sad seriously for Josh Allen, I think you saw more inconsistency, but still enough to like win against a bad Panthers football team. I think yeah. the interception to Jeremy Chin was disgusting, but started to really cook in the second quarter. And then that third and 12 fireball to Gabe Davis to the back of the end zone. It's like why Josh Allen can be a roller coaster sometimes, but still keep you in games. That, show, that throw was fantastic. Vintage Josh Allen, in my opinion. I still feel that even at... Eight and six, vying for this AFC mm-hmm. playoff spot. The Bills are absolutely a dangerous team in the AFC, and they're not going to be one you want to see, even if you have them at home. And I think the Bills are just going to be inconsistent offensively. And that's just life in today's NFL with the advent of these two high split field safety defenses that are just rising. That is the approach for all these elite quarterbacks in the NFL that put these caps on you and put caps on the play-action game, 
when you have a bad offensive line. The Bills have a bad offensive line right now. Unhealthy. Like Spencer Brown was oh my God. getting worked by Brian Burns <laughs> in this game. And when that is the case, you're not going to be able to consistently move the football down the field. It just it, When you have to complete 15 or 10 to 15 play drives, you cannot do it consistently with this bad of an offensive line. And so I just think you're going to see this Jekyll and Hyde sort of Bills offense all throughout the playoffs, and you're hoping it's – who was the good one in that? Was Jekyll? Jekyll's a good one. You're hoping it's Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, you're hoping it's Jekyll. Is it ja- – how are you pronouncing ja- – it's Jackal, isn't it? Jekyll. Is it Jekyll? J-E-K-Y-L-L. I know how it's spelled, but isn't it not pronounced Jackal? I have no There's idea. There's no way it's pronounced Jekyll. I'm gonna, I, I think I might have to leave. Uh, before we get to Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions, massive upset over the Arizona Cardinals. We've got two reads from – Proud sponsors of the Tailgate Podcast. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of the X chair, patented, dynamic, variable lumbar, there's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. Reversal comfort and extraordinary design. X chair fits any space. High performance. Quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes, even if I'm not working, I sit in my X chair just to get into that feeling. Go to xchairtailgate.com now. That's tail- X- letter X chair, T A I L G A T E.com or call 1 844 4 X chair for $100 off your for- first order. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Cardinals-Lions. Lions are 13-point dogs at home. No one's giving them a shot. I, however, people who listen to this however. podcast know we back Dan Campbell in big dog situations. Mm-hmm. He was a big dog. Not only does he cover the number for the boys, he wins big. Lions win 30-12. to 12. My, One of my biggest takeaways, honestly, this Lions offensive line was taking it to the Cardinals, dude. They had... Running backs no one's even heard of in this game. You know, um, Craig Reynolds from Kutztown, he's out here grinding for yards in this game. He, it was an impressive offensive line performance to the Detroit Lions. And then Jared Goff working off play action was actually not bad. Like, he did not look bad. This looked like 2016 Goff. Some 2016 Goff mixed in. The pass to Amon Ross St. Brown where he steps up, avoids a little pressure, hits a wide open Amon Ross St. Brown. And then he fires an absolute dart to Josh Reynolds on that drive right before the end of the first half to score, they started that drive on like within their own five-yard line and go inch by inch, row by row, all the way down with a big score before the half. That's when you knew it was over. It was a really impressive game for Dan Campbell. And when you talk about Urban Meyer and when you talk about coaches, and I think you said this, I keep stealing this quote, you can lose a lot of football games if you come in for a team that picked number one overall, number two mm-hmm. overall, and was not good. You can't be an absolute embarrassment and you need to build – something of value from a culture perspective. Dan Campbell has done both. He's winning games. He's keeping things close. He's one of the best coaches against the spread this year. And, man, the culture in Detroit right now is fucking phenomenal with a bunch of scrubs on both sides of the ball. This was I mean, this was no fluky game. This yeah. was, it wasn't block punts yes, and muffs and stuff like that. This was an ass-whooping from Detroit. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like This team is still giving everything every single week. And I do think of the other side of the ball – not having DeAndre Hopkins is a very massive, massive loss. This Cardinals team, when they played man coverage, I know they played man coverage on a quarter of their snaps, with Will Harris, a safety, their safety from Boston College, I think I believe it was third-round pick back in 2019, has never played cornerback in his life, dating back to Boston College. Maybe he did back in high school, but this guy's never played cornerback. Starts at outside cornerback 
and they're playing man coverage with him. And against man coverage, Kyler Murray goes four of nine for six, seven yards and is sacked. It's horrendous. Like that, he does not throw into Antoine Wesley like that. Dude, that's what I was going to say. Like you know where that DeAndre Hopkins thing shows up? Is yeah. that fourth down before the first half to go try and score? They throw to Antoine Wesley, incomplete. And then towards the back end, there's another fourth down deep down the field. He can't keep his feet in bounds, and they lose that one too. Yeah. Throwing to Antoine Wesley the amount that they did in those critical situations is how that Hopkins injury shows up. And, and it's – it cannot be underscored because those are massive plays just throughout the course of the game. Those are very high leverage plays that Hopkins wins in his sleep. Like he's getting his feet down there for sure, scoring yeah. touchdowns. So yeah. those are huge. Not having him is going to be huge if it extends into the postseason. I think you can write there death warrant. What? Death receipt? Death, whatever. Death certificate? Death certificate. Is that right? Yeah. One of those. You can write, can write it because that this team's not competing with the elite of the elite in the NFC if they don't have DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I will say the Lions offensive line, building something special there. Jonah Jackson, Taylor Decker on the left side, outside of Jonah Jackson's playing this game. But the Penny still at right tackle. When you get back Frank Ragnow next year, who hasn't played since week four, and right guard's kind of the only real issue right now. If you can get a stud at right guard, this could be up there with the Colts for one of the best run black lines in the entire NFL. I said on this show I would join the Red Sea if they beat the Rams. Then they lose to the Lions. Am I the curse? And I think there needs to be more conversation about this Cardinals defense. Everyone thinks this Cardinals defense is good. And for this season, yes, they ranked fifth in EPA per play allowed, and they had a really hot start to the year. Over the last five weeks, they ranked 21st. This defense has not been showing up of late. And everyone wants to look, oh, Kyler Murray's been hurt. DeAndre Hopkins has been hurt. That's the driving reason. This defense also isn't playing well anymore. It's settling back into maybe preseason expectations. This Cardinals team, no one's joining the Red Sea anytime soon. They need to figure their shit out and figure it out fast or – they're going to be, you know, they're on their way to like a one and done in the playoff situation. Right now, they're still third in the NFC or fourth in the NFC playoff picture. But Rams are nine and four, Cardinals are ten and four. You could see them swap coming down the stretch when everyone's got to play the NFC West. Niners are eight and six, two games back from that. So we'll be interesting to see how the Cardinals continue. I'm not saying it's going to be fall out of the playoff situation, but man, it has not been good football in Arizona for a little bit now. Texans at Jaguars. I had a bet. I had a bet with Eric Eager, that the Jaguars would win by six or more in this game. I felt like they'd be fired up. I felt like they'd be fired up. Irvin gone, Bevel coming in, James Robinson was going to play a lot of the snaps, and guess what? They didn't. The Jaguars looked like shit. The Bevel called one of the worst games I've ever seen. It was so hard to watch that game. The rain did not help. I think they had a a kick return TD. The Houston Texans had a kick return TD. That definitely didn't help. Trevor Lawrence didn't play all that well. This was awful Start to bottom. I think this is one of the first like Jaguars games I like legitimately like painfully watched every snap of, and it was awful. Urban Meyer was an issue, but this Jaguars team still lacks talent, still force feeds Laquan freaking Treadwell the football, and defensively lacks a complete identity. Davis Mills was carving them up in this game. Texans win 30-16 as they closed as six-point dogs. Texans closed as six, six and a half point dogs. On the road against Jacksonville, Jacksonville just like completely didn't show up. Bevel, embarrassment in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure why you thought that was a good bet, considering the Jaguars have won two games all year. It was an emotional bet, man. I just each felt of good them by for them. three points. <laughs> and now, yes, one of them was against the Bills, but an offense that hadn't scored had scored a total of 23 points over the last three games. Um, it's not good. Yeah, I thought it would be inspired football. I thought it would be inspired football, and it wasn't. It just wasn't. Now, as I said, maybe Urban was right about his assistant coaches. It very well could be possible. <laughs> 
But this team's just it's not good, man. And he didn't even play that poorly again in this one. They're just they don't have the help. Like you said, they're featuring Laquan Treadwell, who we didn't mention, but against the Titans last week, sixty eight yards. That's a career high. Disaster. For for a former first rounder. Disaster. Um yeah, this Jags team's just they're it's they're so now bad. they are now on the number one pick. They now could be the first team since the Cleveland Browns, the vaunted Browns, to get back-to-back number one picks. So they go Thibodeau at one, Thibodeau or Hutchinson at one. Those are the two favorites to go number one overall. Man, that's gonna it's going to be a fun draft, but it's going to be ugly for the Jags. They need to turn around. They need to bring in a coach that can actually right the ship there because I do think there is some talent, and they have Trevor Lawrence. They have yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Figure it out, Jags. Figure it out. Jets at Dolphins. Eric Eager, I watched the games with him. He had big money on the Jets to cover this nine and a half spread, and they did. Dolphins win 31 24, cover the nine and a half the Jets do, but still, Dolphins win. Tua was not great in this game. The it's first pick, I think you wrote in your notes, looks a little bit worse because, like, Par- Par- Devontae Parker kind of like doesn't like even throttle down ball. a little bit in the, on an over route. He's not, but really, like, it was also like a yeah. wildly inaccurate throw. Yeah. Like, it was a wildly inaccurate throw from Tua. It goes right to Ashton Davis's hands. And then there's another one that gets batted up, and Ashton Davis almost takes back. It's almost another pick. The worst one to me was the underthrow, or not the worst. The worst one is pick six, obviously. The, but then the underthrow to Albert Wilson, because that should have been a touchdown. Yeah, fair. That one brought the DB back into it, gets incomplete. But he had about five yards of separation, and he just underthrew it by about at least five yards. The positives in this one, he had multiple like really nice throws. That was that one to Devontae Parker. There was another one to Isaiah Ford. Like, oh, man, that was an absolute seed. And then Duke Johnson, former Miami, Florida Hurricane, Back in Miami, looked awesome in this game. He broke mm-hmm. a ton of tackles. I think he had the most forced missed tackles of any running back on the week. He was really productive. And positives for the Jets, Zach Wilson. <laughs> Zach Wilson was not great, but there was some of the old BYU Zach Wilson in this game. And I think I put in here, like, kind of couched it, like, a lot of, like, fun, volatile highlights yeah. from Zach Wilson where, like, he's scrambling around and avoids, like, three sacks and then is able to fire it downfield. If that's what you want Zach Wilson to be, this is never going to work. He eventually needs to work inside a structure, but still, it was more positive than some of the shit we've seen from him recently. Yeah, I would, I would, I would think about shutting him down towards the end of this year. He's taking bad sacks. Still took six in this game when the offensive line still isn't good. But he's also not great. But he's taking bad sacks. Like there was one where it was a blitz. The running back picks it up, and then he just goes like, and there's two minute drill at the end of the first half. He just goes across the running back's face, like not recognizing the leverage of your blockers is a bad place to be at when you're a quarterback because you're just going to take a lot of sacks then. Like, you have to get out of that stuff better than he has been. And now, you know, Keelan Coles is wide receiver one in this game. Like, he had injuries to, you know, Elijah Moore is not playing, Corey Davis is not playing, Denzel Mims is nowhere to be found nowadays. So tough to blame him too much for the offensive output. Like, there's not a lot of help surrounding him, but he just still doesn't look comfortable. Like, when a guy's not comfortable back there, you, de- you just risk developing bad habits, and you can't rely, like we've been saying with Justin Fields, you can't rely on just, like, those plays outside of structure. you got to start in structure first to then – got to paint inside the lines, paint outside the lines. Wow. Wow. That was to, that was impressive. <laughs> uh, before we get to Cowboys at Giants, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, tis the season of giving – and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a Christmas present. You won't want to re-gift. How many Christmas presents have you re-gifted? None. I don't know. Why. That's monster. not as common as people think. Uh, Who the hell is re-gifting shit out here? I don't know. 
New customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas. I didn't know there were games on Christmas. And one win $150. I'm literally going to a game. I've been telling this. I'm going to the Browns game. Oh, hell yeah. Let me get back to this. New customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas and win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. Why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket? <laughs> if sports isn't avail- sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, your Christmas can still be merry. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win on Christmas Day and $150 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Once you're 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Put a little jingle in your pocket with the Cowboys-Giants game. This game stinked. It was poop. This game was hard to watch start to finish. I think think stinked stinked is accurate, though. It did stink. Not a word, but. It stunk. It was bad. Cowboys win 21-6. They cover the 10.5-point spread. Mike Glennon in this Giants offense is recreating or redefining what the floor is for bad offensive football. Yeah. It is ugly. Kenny Galladay can't create separation. Saquon Barkley and um, Booker, Devontae Booker, don't even look dissimilar, right? Devontae Booker and Barkley have yeah. the same juice at this point. They don't. This, this rushing attack had some success against the Cowboys, but it was – never converted in the red zone. They only scored six points in this game, and Glennon could do next to nothing through the air. Jake Fromm ended up getting in for mm-hmm. Mike Glennon. Glennon was benched for Jake Fromm in this game, and now Joe Judge is considering starting Fromm to close out the season. This Giants team is down bad, down horrendous, and the Cowboys took advantage. Yeah, there's literally zero reason not to start Fromm because it's like, how much worse is he going to get? You know? Also, like, how much like, more Glennon do we need? Exactly. Like, what, what's the goal with Glennon? Yeah, when you're – I never understand the reasoning behind average to below average teams, which I think a lot of people put the Giants in that bucket heading into the season. Spending money on a complete retread backup quarterback that's – like, unless you, unless you want a guy like a Josh McCown to mentor a young quarterback, there's, there's no point in wasting that – any cap space or wasting any hope on a guy like Mike Lennon, who you just know is not good. Like you just know. Why take your chance on like the the Ravens and Tyler Huntley? Take a chance on a guy who could be something, and then as soon as he shows anything, you have somewhat of an asset to go for you going forward. So yeah, I, I don't understand necessarily the thought process there. Giants obviously don't either at this point with the way the <laughs> results have gone. Uh, but now the Cowboys are sneakily the two seed. And if the Packers lose a game within the next three weeks and the Cowboys win out, they'll be the one seed. Yeah, that is uh, coming down here. I e- even though they haven't quite looked it, is I think like this why I say yeah. sneaky. Like Dak, before his calf injury, had an 87.7 passing grade. Since that, last, I believe, six weeks, 69.4. Just the offense hasn't looked mm-hmm. quite the same. And they're kind of, you know, they're. Getting back to full strength. Cowboys' remaining schedule is no slouch either. Washington football team at home on Sunday night. Then they have Cardinals the fighting um, at home. And then the team. Eagles on the road. What? So the fighting football team. The fighting football team. Packers' last three games to close out to secure the one seed. Browns at home, Vikings at home, and then on the road against the Lions. Should be a win-out situation for the Green Bay Packers. If, if they don't look like they did against Baltimore and give up uh, almost 32 Lions, points Lions to Tyler Huntley. Right Titans, Steelers, talk about a slog. This game was gross, but also 
really exciting down the stretch because this game had massive implications yes. for the AFC playoff picture. Steelers ended up, I think, closing as one-point favorites in this game. Steelers needed a win to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're now 7-6-1 and one fighting for that wild-card spot that's currently owned by the three teams that are eight and six right now as for the titans they slide down to nine and five on the verge of getting passed up by the colts in the afc south to lose that division and be vying for that playoff spot so big loss for the titans massive win to stay literally alive in the afc afc playoff picture for the pittsburgh steelers they win 19 13 i felt that the pittsburgh steelers played a conservative game and just like really like every every drive they could get away with big ben not like crumbling they could maybe get a field goal out of it like you know kicked a ton of field goals in this game and as for the titans it was the turnovers right Tannehill fumbles that snap Steelers goes up six and that pretty much ends the game but then also you had um the james washington fumble but it was called back for the roughing the passer that allowed the Steelers to put up another three. That was another massive win. Last thing I'll say about this one too, is that tackle by Joe Hayden to win this game. And they were like talking about the spot. He was so short. Like there was no conversation of that spot. Like the Titans were short, like a yard and a half. And the spot by the refs was heinous. It ends up making it look closer than it was. Steelers win that game off bad turnovers by the Titans late in that game. And honestly, just like not like, being complete dog shit on offense. Yes, Siliano on Red Zone said it's a spot we'll be talking about for weeks. And I'm sitting there in my chair. I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to mention it ever again. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> no one's going to talk about it at all because it was quite obvious, quite easily the most obvious short on fourth down call that we saw all weekend. Like, yeah. It just wasn't close. So um, I was rooting very hard for the Titans purely for the comedy of it, though. Mm-hmm. If they would have won out and gotten the one seed with just this objectively tough-looking roster Deontay at this point. Foreman, Nick Aquino, West, Nick Westbrook-Aquina is like they, their top guys. I mean, so Julio Jones gets hurt again. Uh, I think he pulled the hamstring again. He only has 369 yards this season. I, the Falcons looking like clear winners of that trade right now. But they were sending out three wides of, like, Racy McMath, Cody Hollister, and Nick Westbrook-Aquina. It's like gross. It, I, I wish the Titans could have stayed healthy at receiver. Like, I wish Julio and AJ could have stayed healthy. So we really could have gotten, like, a clear impact of Derrick Henry. But, like, er- everyone got hurt. And yeah. so it, it just the, it, the Titans' offense won the tank because no one is healthy at this point. So No Julio Jones, no Derrick Henry, no A.J. Brown. This thing's toast right now. They and do. it's reeling. I mean, they're in a yeah. position to potentially get passed up by the Colts here. Eh. Well, so, okay. So here's the thing. So, so they've won both head-to-heads. So the Titans own the tiebreaker against the Colts. They're 9-5. Colts are 8-6. Titans remain in schedule. 49ers, Dolphins, Texans. They could go one they will, one two. They, could, they will win one of those. Yeah, they'll they win one of those. They'll beat the Texans. If they, if they win two, it's over. They win the South. Mm-hmm. Colts remain schedule. Cardinals at Arizona. And then Raiders, Jaguars. So the Colts are going to win two. If they beat Arizona this week, Titans are going to have to win one of these next two games. Or else the Colts are in play still for the South. And if Arizona loses to the Colts, that's a big game, too. That's on Christmas Day at 8-15. Check that one out. Colts, Cardinals in Arizona. I don't know. I think Arizona shit, shit themselves with this last loss. Like, they are – I don't. They, they're not climbing back out of they, – they uh, now they can still obviously win the West, but they're not climbing into one seed anymore. Yeah, but they got to they, they gotta stay alive here. Yeah. They got to find some fucking momentum before they get into the postseason and go one and done there. Uh, Bengals at Broncos. I faded the Bengals. And they won. They showed up. However, I said I would. 
join the jungle or whatever I said. Yeah. If they threw the ball on more than 50 percent, 55% of their early downs, they threw it on 48% of their early downs. They did less. And people want to say, well, they won the game. They won the game. They averaged 3.1 yards per carry on early downs in the first half. 3.1 yards per carry. That is a horrendous. Horrend- they were not a productive offense. They only scored 15 points. And one of the biggest, the only touchdown in this game, and you highlighted it, I think, in a tweet, was a first down throw down the football field to Tyler Boyd and one of the more creative plays yeah. that Zach Taylor's ever seen. This Bengals team, if they're going to be legit in the postseason, needs to score more than 15 points. And I know the Denver Broncos defense is good, and I know their strength is stopping the pass. But your strength is throwing the ball. Your strength is throwing with Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. And if you can't go strength on strength against the Denver freaking Broncos, especially after you know Teddy Bridgewater goes down in this game, I, I think you're not going to be considered as a, liter- a legit deep playoff contender. They don't show up. They are conservative. But somehow the Broncos, because of the Teddy Bridgewater injury, they can't find offense either. Bengals win in a gross 15-10 win- game as two-and-a-half-point dogs on the road. Yeah. On first down, the Bengals, 16 runs, six passes. They averaged negative 3.365 EPA per play on those runs and positive .478 EPA per play on those passes. It, it was they one pass on first down in the second half. <laughs> and that was a touchdown. Uh, just conservative as can be. And, yeah, they won. They win this game. But they win this game because the defensive line had a dominant out. Oh, yeah. One Trey of, Hendrickson. One of their Joby. best they've looked all season long. Trey Hendrickson was killing a good left tackle in Garrett Bowles and Garrett Ogun- Larry Ogunjobi. Fuck, <laughs> Garrett Ogunjobi. I said Garrett Bowles. Larry Ogunjobi was crushing it in the middle of that defense. Like they were getting pressure. 48% of Teddy Bridgewater's dropbacks, he was pressured. So that, yeah. that was an outstanding performance from the defensive line. That's what won this game. Not because Zach Taylor went in a shell a week after. And the, thing, the reason we like harp on this is because a week after, it literally cost them a win. You know, last week against the 49ers, and Zach Taylor admitted it. He said, I should have been more aggressive. Comes in this week and and does all he can to not put the ball in his quarterback's hands. The number one graded quarterback here at PFF. If if they miss the playoffs, like with the highest graded quarterback in the NFL, that will be an unprecedented occurrence in the PFF era. Oh, 100%. Straight up doesn't happen. And, and with the defense that... Like, Drew Brees has missed the playoffs in years where he's played very well with defense that is the last-ranked defense in the NFL. The Bengals defense, defense has been good. Has average been to above yes. average. So that is not the case. They are scoring 15 points because you're averaging negative .365 EPA per rush on first down. When you run it 16 times, you are putting him in situations where he's more Second likely to long, be sacked. third and longs, exactly. Like, it, the only reason you wouldn't put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands early downs is if you worry about him taking hits, and you're literally putting him in more positions to take hits. It's just that's that's why we harp on this. That's why we keep saying it week to week because I don't think anyone is scared of this team because of this. Yeah, like 100%. no, no you going into the AFC playoffs, people are scared of the Chargers. We just I just said they're probably the second best team in the NFL. No real difference. Person, I mean they have a better offensive line, but no real difference personnel wise at receiver. No real difference like defensively in terms of quality. But they are better because they trust Justin Herbert to put the ball in his hands to win them games. I mean, they're aggressive. They step on aggressive. throats. They put the gas pedal down. Zach Taylor yes. hasn't done that once this season. If they want to go into a postseason that's going to be loaded yeah. with Herbert, Mahomes, and a you know, looking at the AFC playoff picture, I can't believe I think it, Patriots, Bills. If you want to beat these other top, yeah. top teams in the AFC, I throw the Colts in there too. You're going to need to be able to step on throats and throw the football effectively and throw it early and often. The Bengals need to show that because yeah. if not, you're going to be duking out 15-10 wins, 
W's against the Denver Broncos team that no one expected, um, you know, no one expects to go deep in the postseason this year either. Falcons at 49ers. This game started more interesting and then it just completely shit. Like, Falcons recover a fumble on the opening kickoff, get down to the one yard line, and can't score. They can't score on four downs. They go for it all. And then from there, you knew it was over, right? Like, it was just done. Falcons weren't going to win this game. There were a handful of highlight plays. Russell Gage had that catch in the end zone over Thomas. That was awesome. But all Niners in this one. Jimmy G continues to be really, really impressive for the San Francisco 49ers. And you could argue he's not doing a lot. I think he has the second lowest big-time throw rate of any quarterback in the NFL. My thing, though, is that this 49ers offense isn't built for Jimmy G to have a ton of big-time throws. It's built for Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings, your guy, to cook after the catch. And that's exactly what they're doing. Like, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings all had super impressive plays after the catch. And you could even throw Jeff Wilson in there. Jeff Wilson had an impressive game behind the San Francisco 49ers offensive line. They look legit in how they win football games, leaning on Jimmy G to limit mistakes, facilitate the ball, and keep what the, the biggest thing they need is to keep these playmakers healthy. You need healthy Debo, you need healthy Kittle, because once you start to limit a couple of these guys, and then Jimmy G needs to, you know, create more open throws. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you're going to start to lose. But when they're healthy, and when Ayuk, Debo, Kittle are all seeing the field, Juwan I Jan- think it's Jennings. enough. Juwan Jennings too. I think it's all it's all enough. <laughs> yes. So I watched the all the way to back of this. Brandon Ayuk is getting open, man. Like he is separating as well. Shit, if not better than Debo Samuel. Now they force, they give Debo Samuel a lot of scheme touches, not as many to Ayuk, but this dude's getting open down the football field. And this offense at full strength is, I'll just say it, it's fun to watch. It is a fun to watch offense with all these playmakers at full strength because they're all dynamic as hell with the ball in their hands. Um, and I even throw Juwan Jennings in that too. Dude looks like a. It looks a lot like, like what he's, we saw. You know, yes. Tennessee breaking tackles. He's not like a burner, but he's tough to bring down. Uh, and he's full press good. Game. And he's kind of like the ideal slot in that offense, kind of like a better version of Alan Lazard. You can actually like create after the catch because he's a physical blocker as well. And that's why I think he's getting on the field a lot in this game. So the 49ers offense, I, I, I think bodes well for them. They could, they could win a legitimate, they could win a wild card game. They're, they're going to be a wild card team. They could upset one of those top teams. I think they have more than enough. Defense side of the ball still scares me. But I want to go to the other side of the ball where Falcons just have to do better than Jalen Mayfield and Caleb McGarry. 12 total pressures in this game. Caleb McGarry is kind of the nightmare scenario for the first rounder. He's in that Austin Jackson territory where you're not going to give up on him, but he has a pass blocking grade this year below 50. And this is year three for him. Now, is he going to ever the light switch ever going to flip on maybe it will but you have to go into this offseason thinking we need to upgrade at right tackle and the other takeaway from this game aj terrell deserves to be an all-pro corner he won't be because trayvon diggs has 10 picks jc jackson has seven picks but he deserves to be an all-pro corner this guy has been now he doesn't have as difficult a role as jalen ramsey but he has been right up there in terms of his ability to shut down number one type of wide receivers as Jalen Ramsey. Lowest yards allowed per coverage snap, A.J. Terrell. Lowest pass rating when targeting, A.J. Terrell. He's allowed the least amount of 20-plus yard throws. He has been phenomenal, but he does not have the ball production to win the bigger awards because people only look at the box scores. What the hell do the Falcons do, man? I, but, I, but I will say they also they just like keep him at left corner. Mm-hmm. And now I do think next year, knowing who he is, knowing how good he is, oh, over yeah. the course of the offseason, you've got to – 
scheme this defense to take advantage of that better. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just have defenses being able to shy away from knowing he'll be on one side. You have to stick him over number one wide receivers or call coverages such that kind of like how the Saints do a lot of times with Marshawn Lattimore where it's like Marshawn Lattimore is on his side and safety's over on the other side. Like, he gets to go one-on-one with no help, even if it's not necessarily just pure man coverage across the board. What do the Falcons do this offseason, man? Their their defense outside of Terrell is Swiss cheese. And offensively, Matt Ryan yeah. is obviously not the quarterback of the future. They might be committed to him next year. Kyle Pitts is the only receiver like legitimately creating separation this offense. Russell Gage made a handful of really nice contested catches, but still, that's not the future here. The Falcons' offensive line isn't good. Their defense isn't good. This team needs to reset fast. But I don't know if they have the resources to do it. Right? I mean, you got the picks, the two picks from Julio trade. Mm-hmm. Um You'll have a high first-round pick. Uh, you could flip that. I wouldn't in this draft class. I don't know, depending on where they do end up, they, they just need cheap talent at this point. So I, I don't think it's a complete overhaul. I don't think you – I don't even think they move on from Matt Ryan. He's only 36. I think he probably has maybe three years, and I think you can get back to it in that window. Wow. Wow. Keep Matt Ryan, get back to it in that window. That sounds deathly. Packers at Ravens. I thought your 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 Green Bay Packers, and I know you're a shareholder, stakeholder, and a part owner. I thought they were going to take the L. I thought they were going I to didn't. take Never the know. L. Packers. Aaron Rodgers looked phenomenal. He's now the leader in the clubhouse in terms of MVP odds, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. If you're looking to bet, it's between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I think at plus 140 and plus 175. Really impressed with him in this game. He was pretty damn phenomenal. But Huntley on the other side was awesome, and I think. One of the notes I had here, composure. Yeah. This was a massive game where the Ravens were like 7.8.9 point dogs at one point at home where he's filling the shoes of a former league MVP, Lamar Jackson, and against a very good defense, never looked he never looked out of place. Like he never looked like the stage was too big for him. He was always composed, always you know, got the most out of a lot of these plays, was not significantly inaccurate with the football, made some impressive plays, specifically down the stretch to get him back into this game. Then Ravens call the two-point conversion. And I felt similarly about that call as I did their fourth down early in the game, right, where they had the goal line stand and Huntley missed it and, you know, Green Bay takes over. They don't take the points. I did not feel that that was their opportunity to win. Huntley, on that play, the design rollout, one route, one opportunity, it's not there. Game ends on that. It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like, I I felt like they were in a better position to kick that, and you've mentioned too, like they got that Green Bay had time left potentially go down and tie it and if you kick it maybe they don't they, they agree to go to ot or whatever we'll, we'll figure out from there yeah what was it 42 seconds left when they went for two and green bay had one time out i, I would have like if you convert there that puts the urgency they would have gone green bay's aggressive offense. i think they get it. aggressive and get down the football field and have a chance at a field goal whereas if you just go for one green bay doesn't have the onus to be so aggressive probably would still call some pass plays but not as like we're still trying to get down there, but yeah. would not be overly would not, aggressive. Exactly, their backs would not put the ball. Yeah, would not try to put the ball in harm's way. So, what where they screwed up was not going for two on the first touchdown, down fourteen, and like that is obviously you're probably not going to get a a good answer from Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh. Yeah, on why I, I always forget uh, John Harbaugh on why exactly did that. But that is when you, if you want to win the game in regulation, you go for it the first time, so that if you miss it, you cannot all of a sudden lose the game in regulation on that last touchdown. Mm-hmm. And you could have a chance to make up for it by going for two another time. So that was where they kind of went wrong. But, man, Tyler Huntley did look good. And I was uh, – I texted Brady Quinn after the game because 
before Tyler Huntley came out, I was like a guy who said, I think I, he's worth like a fifth rounder. Like, I think that's a good guy to take a shot on day three. And he said he doesn't have the arm to play in the NFL. That's and what Brady said? Yeah. And, and he really doesn't have – I mean, he doesn't have a strong arm. It, it is probably bottom of the barrel. But he's accurate. He was accurate in this game. And he is. He's far more accurate than Lamar Jackson. Sorry if that offends. But he always has been accurate. Dating back to Utah, he completed over 70% of his passes there. And that's why I liked it. And I was like, that accuracy combined with how athletic this guy is. And Brady's like, well, I didn't know that he would be this athletic. He didn't get featured that much in Utah's running game. And I was like, well, you know what? Joe Barry didn't either for the Packers. They had no like, they had no plan mm-hmm. for trying to keep this guy in the pocket or trying to spy him or anything. They had their edge rushers doing inside spin moves against this dude. Like, I, I don't know what they thought going in. That's just a big no-no against a guy who can break the pocket and is as dynamic as Tyler Huntley. This guy ran a 4.56 coming out. He had a 43.5-inch vertical. Like, he is a real deal yeah. high-end athlete. He goes undrafted because he's six foot one ninety six. That's why he goes undrafted by the NFL because that he is looks not, longer than that. That is not the profile. He's thin though. Yeah, is he is just not the profile of an NFL quarterback historically. But shit, what we what do you put on tape this past week against the Packers? That was impressive for sure. Social team was reaching out asking if I was interested in talking about landing spots for Huntley. If we get some graphics out, my take still, even though like he was impressive, and you could argue that. He should buy for a starting spot maybe elsewhere because obviously Lamar Jackson has a stronghold. This is a really good position for him to be in, though. Yeah, there's, if you're the Ravens, you'd be stupid to trade this guy away. Yeah, because he's, he's a perfect complement and a perfect yes. backup to what Lamar Jackson offers. Exactly. Like, you can keep your offense. You can do a lot of the same things. And like as you saw, <clears throat> as nine-point dogs against Green Bay, a team that's first in the NFC, yeah. I mean, he can hold his own. I think keeping Tyler Huntley should be a priority for Baltimore. They should not look to move from him. And even teams who are looking to like kind of grab him, you know, make a play for Huntley, I, I think the, the Baltimore Ravens will probably move away from that. I mean, it's not this simplistic, but they scored 30 and 22 the past two weeks, Tyler Huntley starting. The previous four games before that, they scored 19, 16, 16, and 10. So, like, you the think Tyler Huntley's better than I'm Lamar saying, Jackson. Yeah, I'm saying Tyler Huntley's a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. <laughs> oh, man. Don't, don't get people started. Saints, okay. Bucks, this is where we'll close. I read this game completely wrong. And you were right. You were right. You said, hey, I think it's a real thing. I think Dennis Allen's got Tom Brady's number. I think the Saints defense is going to show up. You didn't pick the Saints to win. I don't think anyone did, except for Drew Brees on the, on the podcast. <laughs> but you did pick them to cover. Bucks were favored by 10.5. Bucks get absolutely blanked. Yeah. Blanked by the Saints. Saints win 9-0. The Brady fumble for me was the backbreaker. Momentum lost. He got, you know, who was that? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson who was talking shit to his yeah. face. I mean, that that's where you lost a lot of they can win it. They can get back into this. That was a huge miss. And then you had the pick, the pick that Tom Brady threw that really kept them out of this game. They were already down nine then, but Tom Brady was consistently under pressure. 15 pressure dropbacks in this game. Most he's had in a single game this season. Dennis Allen dialing it up. Tristan Wirfs, I think, allowed one of the first sacks he's allowed in his career, or one of the first few sacks he's allowed in his career. Then you have Tom Brady losing Evans, losing Godwin. That was obviously That's not a big a big. Um, I mean, they shut him down prior to that, yeah. but still 16 snaps into the game, losing both those guys is tough Brady didn't play well the offensive line didn't play well and defensively yeah they limited New Orleans but they still got some field goals up to win this one yeah mentioning the force fumble was really in like a blow to Brady's pride too because was it last week or two weeks ago he tweets out the video of him running running, yeah he's spry calling out Peyton Manning all of a sudden he gets out of the open field and just gets he immediately thought of his social media and he's like shit (laughs) I'm gonna get toasted for that he immediately thought of his social media I guarantee it he's like oh man I'm screwed yeah that's hilarious it was I mean, a must-win for the Saints, too, to keep their hopes alive. What a performance by Dennis Allen. And honestly, the game plan, going back and watching, it was 
it was quarters. Like they they ran quarters. Like I said, these split field two high coverages. They're like run the football, please. We dare you. We're not going to give you anything down the football field. And then obviously once. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin go out. Those corners got really feisty, mm-hmm. got right in the face of Jalen Darden, Tyler Johnson, who were just overmatched. Brutal scene for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Still believe them in the NFC. Not having the one seed, though. If they're out in the one seed and you got to go through Lambeau, it just gets that much harder, right? Like in a lot of these playoff scenarios, now that there's only one bye, there's only one bye, mm-hmm. Green Bay – Whoever gets this one seed, Green Bay right now in the one seed, it's going to be I think, uniquely positioned to yeah. go on a run. Well, and I think the two seed, too, is going to be massive. The one and two is huge this year, just given how it's shaken out. Because once you're the three, then you're playing, shit, either the Saints or the 49ers right now is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And what we've just seen with the Saints, the Saints have been – Saints have beaten the Packers. The Saints have beaten the Bucks twice. The Saints in their defense – yeah, it's Taysom Hill, but Saints and their defense somehow are the giant killers, the Kingslayers, shall we say. The Kingslayers. Man, we'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, any other takeaways from this game? No. Oh, <laughs> I know what you're referring to, and it's Dennis Allen. There was okay. I was laying on my couch towards the end of this game yesterday, and I'm like half asleep because it's like it, it was after it had already been decided. And all of a sudden, they do a, like a 10 to 15 second just pan, like pure zoom on Dennis Allen, the Saints defense coordinator <laughs> on the sidelines. And I don't know if it's the shirt he's wearing or the tightness of it or what, but the man has a legit set of man boobs going on in, in this shirt that he's wearing. These things are on YouTube right now. Like you see like a full like B cup like sitting under there oh like from the God. side angle and they're just like zooming in like a tight shot on him. Dude, for, they like, gave this guy a death And they just sentence. like killed him with it. I felt like bad for him. And he's like not – he's a skinny – he's like an in-shape guy. I wonder if he was like a guy who – I was talking with Quinn before the show and he's like I wonder if he was a guy who like lifted a lot or was like a lot stronger prior to this and then obviously lost some of that muscle. Dude, but man, that was a tough a look. That was a tough look. That game. I'm not one to to talk here. I look like a cave troll, but man, that side profile, the side boob is could, could be could arguably be a maxim. I, I mean, went, that is that is tough. That is what only fans is seeking out. That is what people need in their lives. And to give that to the Sunday night broadcast crew for free is just absurd to me. I think his wife made some calls after that. That was insane. I went that on Twitter an and searched Dennis Allen boobs, and there was. There was not, I was not the only one thinking about it. I wasn't obviously going to tweet it, but there was a lot of people talking about Dennis it. Dennis Allen Boob's Twitter search is that pretty pretty solid right now. It's I'm going to kind of dive through. Has anyone got some good jokes here? No, but oh, people man, there notice. are other pics of him in different shirts, though, where he's just rocking some biggies. I don't know, <laughs> man. That's a tough scene. All right, out of this, of uh, the boob roasting, if you will, four more games left. I know you won't want to preview any of them. Which one are you most looking forward to? Vikings, Bears, Raiders, Browns, Seahawks, Rams, football team, Eagles? Probably... Raiders Browns, yeah. I think it's the only one with real playoff implications. Fair enough. I mean, Rams Seahawks, obviously, if the Rams lose, but Raiders Browns. The fun to read segment will be stacked uh, house, an absolute treat. To, before we get there, let's talk. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with us. 
asking questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western Southern is teaming up with PFS, very own Chris Collinsworth, the big man, the boss man, the guy, the legend, to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards, unless you're playing in Mike Renner's Family League. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to 2500 coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on the YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Fun to read. I'm ripping all of these open here. There is some talent. Not enough Dennis Allen boob jokes. We saved that for here, but still, there is some good ones. Um, Starting with Luke Stans. Luke Stansfield, who is a draft writer, Eagles writer. Gentle reminder that the hashtag Eagles and men are both 6-7 and fighting for the wild card. To me, it seems like drafting Rager over Justin Jefferson hasn't made one team better or the other. First-round receivers are not, aren't going to magically bring teams wins. Stop the narrative. This is down bad situation, right? Like, when you're an Eagles fan, he's an Eagles writer. Luke Stansfield says, Eagles writer, draft analyst. He's obviously just like, fuck, dude. Like, I'm tired. I'm da- I-, I think the yeah. Rager pick wasn't that bad. Justin Jefferson's good and all, but everything's okay. Like, I don't know. This is a tough scene. This is like one of those, you know, it's a fan situation, right? Where like you're trying to just like justify just terribleness on your roster. It's the coping. It's cope. The, it's yeah. a cope, coping mechanism of being a fan of just justifying, finding any way to justify your team's personnel moves to the, to, to the fact that basically saying no moves matter is what he's saying right now. No yes. first round picks matter. No. Uh, it, except it, for a quarterback. Your record maybe. only matters. Yes. So just doesn't Jefferson matter if you draft like, shit. You can I draft mean, a literal. It's going to go too far with you that. You drift Dennis Allen's T-shirt. <laughs> and this guy would be justifying it as an Eagles. I like this other one. This is from Michael Silver, a uh, bigger name than the other guy. He is a writer, I think, for Sports Illustrated. Or, you know, he's flirting around with different things. But if Cooper Cup is not, the, is not in the MVP conversation legitimately, then what are we doing here? This is important context, in my opinion. People need to know more about the MVP voting process. There's no second-place votes. Yeah, You get one vote. Who is your MVP? And if you are on that list of people that vote, and you look at how the league has played out, and you go, Cooper Cup yeah. is my MVP, I get one vote, what are we doing here, to quote Michael Silver? That, yeah. that would be absurd. <laughs> like, it's Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady— or if both those guys like completely shit the bed down the stretch, the quarterback that isn't shitting the bed, right? I mean, it's always a quarterback. It's called the most valuable player of the year, most valuable player award. Now, I had this rant on the NFL pod, on the NFL show on Sundays, stream live, go to YouTube. People want it to be most outstanding player. Like, right, yeah. Heisman is most outstanding player in college football. They want it so bad, want too. it, so Jonathan Taylor can enter the conversation, yeah. so Cooper Cup can enter the conversation, so Trent Williams can enter the conversation. It's not. It's most valuable player, yeah. and the most valuable players play one position. It's fucking quarterbacks. So the best quarterbacks on the best teams are going to win it every single year, as they should. Yes. My, my take on this, and it's something – it's a pet peeve of mine in the – how did he word it here? If he's not in the conversation. It's p- conversation policing. It's the people who say yeah. someone should be in the conversation for the award but then think someone else should win it. With people who are like, why is no one saying – I guess you're Cooper Cup – 
is in the conversation for the he should be in the conversation. Well, it's like, do you think he should win it? No. If you don't think he should win it, then he shouldn't be in the fucking conversation. Don't be mad that people aren't talking about him to win it if you don't think this guy should win it. Is my like that happens all the time where it's like, oh well, he deserves more hype. He deserves more to be more in the conversation. Well, it's like, no. If he doesn't deserve to win, he doesn't actually deserve to be in the conversation. Fair. If you don't realistically believe he deserves to win it, I honestly think Jonathan Taylor has more of a uh, a pull than Cooper Cup does. Yeah, I agree. And, and that is, you know, obviously the running back conversation here at PFF can sometimes become venomous, but still, like Jonathan Taylor. I mean, look at this last game. They played the Patriots, a very good Patriots defense, a very good Patriots team, the once former one seed. Carson, 12, Carson Wentz goes 5 of 12 in that game, and they win because mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor. They win because of that offense. I think the offensive line is always in consideration there. A lot of those yards gained before contact, but still, I'd put Taylor over Cup if you were looking at non-quarterback MVPs. Next one, Jason McIntyre, Straight Fire Podcast is what he does. He's also on FoxSports.com. Mac Jones, lose Offensive Rookie of the Year tonight, so against the Colts where he threw the two picks. Whisper, Justin Fields can steal it. No. That's I, absurd. I haven't seen a ratio that bad on like, with the quote Five tweets retweets, to likes. 264 quote tweets. 94 likes. That's insane. I, I mean, it was can steal it. If he goes 400 yards, four touchdowns per his last four games, sure. We can talk. Un- unless he does that, though. He has six touchdown passes to 10 interceptions right now. 57.6 percent completion percentage 1500 passing yards jamar chase might end up with more receiving yards than he has passing yards that's no it's too harsh but it's he's legitimately on pace for low 2000s passing yards and you're you want him to steal away the rookie of the year from mac jones like what are we doing here why, why do we tweet? Stuff? I love, I love, I love. We're just gonna say that more often now. Michael Silver just yeah. What are we doing? Here? What are we doing here? Had 182 replies and 100 and, or 264 quote tweets. That is a disastrous ratio for the Twitter.com. Dan Orlovsky to close us out. Or no, we have a couple more. Oh, we got ones. a PFF one to close us out. Oh, Dan Orlovsky's next. Yeah. Okay. PFF one. We got tagged in this probably more times than we should have. Calling out the social media team. We've said on this podcast the kneecap jokes are dead. The kneecap jokes are not funny anymore. They're they not funny. Dead. Then we go out, Cardinals are winning. Lions win 17-0, hot seat, the Cardinals kneecaps. It's not worth the 1,200 likes. It's not worth the 1,200 likes. I know people like that tweet. Come on. We got to be better than that. It's too cheap. It's low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging fruit. I don't like it. I mean, it was like, did you see that Annie Agar tweet who has – she's done a lot of really good things. She's got over 20,000 followers. She does those videos with the, with the – where she fakes the teams or whatever. Yeah, yeah. She tweeted out Zooms. like an out – like a day after – a day after Urban Meyer got fired, I know we shouldn't be happy about Urban Meyer getting fired, but I'm sure some people got a real kick out of it. And it's like, fuck, dude. Like, that got 12,000 likes. The bar is too low for a funny tweet. So we got to be better, people. This isn't on PFF. Bring the camera here, Quinn. This isn't on PFF. PFF tweets it out because they know they're going to get 1,200 likes. It's on you. Save Stop your liking. likes for the actual good jokes, people. And I'm not saying... I tell a lot of good jokes, but there are better jokes out there than these tried-ass, kneecap, Urban Meyer kick jokes. Save your likes for the better jokes. It's a vote. Every single light's a vote. Don't fucking do it. Help us. Help you. At first, when I saw that PFF tweet, I was like, I need to know who tweeted it out. But then I was like, actually, you know what? I really don't want to know. I'd rather not think less of someone. Like, I, I, need, I need the anonymity. I don't. It's probably someone I like in the office, but again, I don't need to know. And again, some of the shade goes towards PFF, right? They're attacking low-hanging fruit, but it, it's still got 12, 1,300 likes. It's on the people. The people yeah. are what's wrong. The, yeah. They're tweeting it. You know, We are tweeting it. 
because of the people. All right, last one. Dan Orlovsky, Aaron Rodgers casually threw a 69-yard incompletion today. Talk about saving your okay. likes. This okay. has 1,400 likes. Okay. Let me, let me set the stage here. So this is at 11.07 p.m. he tweets this out. This is you know four hours after the Packers game's over. Um, this is like he's probably reviewing. Game. He's probably reviewing the All-22, why he tweets this out. Why I bring this up and why this is fun to read is because he's 10 yards off. <laughs> you go back and watch this throw, it was 59 yards. Oh, from wow. release point to where the ball landed. He overthrew Marquez Valdez-Scaling. So Dan Olavsky was so hyped up at 11.07 about his miscalculation that he had to tweet it. And he got 1,400 likes. You hate to see that. I think my favorite. And there were people actually in the replies like, it wasn't 69 yards, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> I think my favorite of those was, uh, what are we doing here from Michael Silver? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Cooper Cup's not in the freaking conversation. What are we doing here? Andrew Russell makes the fun to watch watch, which is uh, absolutely sensational. Andrew Russell is a graphic designer here at PFF. He goes by PFF underscore Andrew R. If you've seen his tweets before, they are Bengals the ridden. They are <laughs> Bengals ridden. He is a Bengals lifer, Bengals diehard. I don't even think he's based in Cincy. No. I, I, don't, I don't think so. But he tweets this out, and I know he listens to our podcast, so I can't believe he even tweeted this out. And again, I'm going to blame the people who like this tweet. Jamar Chase is already fun to watch. Think about how awesome he's going to be when he cleans up the drops. Just had to tweet that. 509 likes? Come on, Bengals jungle. Jungle fever? Save your likes for something a little bit more edgy. He Jamar cur- Chase is fun to watch. Just think about when he gets a little bit better. Had to tweet that. What he, the hell is this, He Andrew? put the fun to watch curse on him, too, because he goes out and has one catch for three yards against the, ba- the Broncos. You hate to see that. The fun to watch curse. You can't, if you hype a guy up, with gas him up with just the fun to watch. That's what, you, that's how, that's what happens. Last one on the fun to watch here. This is legitimately in the fucking Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is Hall of Fame fun to watch. This is from Dyer Carragher, who's a Packers writer for 24-7 Sports and Packers Report 66. He also does Rouse analysis for PFF. He's a PFF guy. Oh, hey. I'm following him back. Love that. But this tweet's hilarious. <laughs> Mercedes Lewis, the big dog, former UCLA tight end, veteran like in his 90th year in the NFL, is literally – the most fun player to watch on the Packers. They have an MVP. Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. Mercedes Lewis isn't the most, isn't a fun to watch player, period. Mercedes Lewis is only fun to root for because he's like 90 years old and can barely move but still is making plays. So he's the oldest tight end in the NFL. He's 37 years old. And coming out in the draft, out of UCLA, back in 2007, was it? 1994. <laughs> He ran a four eight four. No way. So he, <laughs> this dude has never been dynamic, and let alone at the age of thirty seven, he is a glorified tackle out there. So if that's what you're into, I could see that being fun to watch. But I think the casual, I mean, literally everybody else would disagree with that. Pretty much everyone. Else. <laughs> so I don't know the big dog. I don't know Mercedes Lewis, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling he's going to have a long career in media. I don't know if he's going to the mic. I don't know if that's something he wants to pursue. But he has seen a lot of shit. And he's been in the NFL for so long that he's got to be personable, got to be a locker room presence. I think I talked to his former tight ends coach at UCLA at the Combine one time, and he spoke highly of him. But I'm interested to see what Lewis does after football because this guy's been in the league for a long time, and he's never really been, like, phenomenal. I mean, he's been a good blocker. He's made some plays after the catch, but he's never been, like, has he ever been the top eight tight end in the NFL? No, I mean, it's, it's – He's always been the block, yeah, really good been, blocker. Anyway. Yeah. That's going to do it for the fun to read and fun to watch watch segment. Rookie of the week, blackout of the week, and then the cake your pants moment of the weekend. Start with your rookie of the week. Rookie of the week going to second rounder. Tyson Campbell, cornerback for Jacksonville Jaguars. 
His second pick of the season, second pick in four games, had a pass breakup, almost had another pick. That was pass breakup was like a dropped interception, only allows two of six targets for nine yards. He has been actually turning it on of late. Looks like a different player from early on the season. Over his past three games now, he has allowed only seven of 13 targets and 50 yards over three games with a pick and a pass break over that span. Tyson Campbell turning things around. That was a legit pick. It was no gimme pick no, it was this past sweet. weekend. He almost had another, too. He almost had another pick yeah. in that game. Yeah, honorable mention to Nick Bolton, and that had the fourth down pass breakup on Thursday night. Against Jared Cook. Jared Cook, if you will. Well, I mean, Jared Cook's no slouch. He's Cook. Jared, Would you rather have Mercedes Lewis or Jared Cook? I think Jared I'd rather have the big dog. Sautéed. Wait. Jared, what's the line you just, like, Brown the outside. He's not fully seared. Seared. Jared Seared. Jared Seared. <laughs> blackout <laughs> of the week. You can't give this guy a blackout. I, he's like a – what round was he even drafted? He wasn't. He wasn't drafted. Don't, oh, no, he's a six-rounder. Sorry. Six-round pick? I mean, what do you expect him to do? Well, okay. Six-round pick. Race McMath. LSU. Gets thrown to the fire <laughs> a little bit. Burnt to a crisp. Racing McCooked. Nine receiving snaps he played this past week. His one target is a scheme like under route. Like it's like an under screen, gets hit and fumbles. You can't fumble <laughs> on your only target. It was a game changing ah, fumble. It was. It was that cost them. Could have cost them the game. Uh, bad blackout of the week. Race McMath. Sadly, that's incredible. Cake your pants moment of the weekend. I got a couple here. Oh, <laughs> one was the North Coast State interception. I don't know if you saw that. No, yeah, De- Destin Talbert. Yeah, it was. It's not only a dope interception, but unlike dope one-hand interception in the end zone, but like unlike the Oklahoma one from early in the year, this one was massive. It was with North Coast State up six with three minutes remaining in the game and in the end zone. So pretty much won North Coast State that game. But then I also got to give a shout-out. I was at the D3 National Championship game on Sunday. North Central College against Mary Harden-Baylor. Mary Harden-Baylor kind of blew him out, 57-24. But second quarter of the game – a guy I taught how to play basketball growing up, my basketball coach's son, Jake Beasley. He's a cornerback, All-American, D3, All-American at North Central Catholic. Came on a blitz, forced a fumble. The game was 16-14 at that time. They kicked a field goal to go ahead. It was all downhill from there, but I was losing my mind. That was an awesome play. He actually had a monster game, three pass breakups. Mary Hard-Baylor had this like 6'6", like 220-pound wide receiver that he followed around the whole game, didn't allow a single completion in that game, I'm trying to get him in. I think he'll be – he might be at a – one of the uh, – uh, whatchamacallit bowls. Here. All-star bowls? Yeah, he might be at an all-star bowl. Are you going to fit him onto the draft board? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw him at 250 maybe. He's, <laughs> so he's actually – he's like a 6'3", 200-pound corner. He runs like a 4. He runs probably like high 4'4". Four he's actually very athletic. So, Man, I'm excited for he's you white. to move him into like the top 100. And we're like, what's going on? Jake Beasley. I taught him how to play basketball. I know everything about him. Uh, that's going to do it for the show today. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I don't think I had a kick your pants moment of the weekend. It was kind of a calm weekend. Yeah. That sounds about right for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back next, recording Tuesday, coming out Wednesday. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. (laughs) 